Hello, my friends. My name is Aureli. Education Monsters is a podcast that discusses multicultural education. Hello, hello on Education Monsters. Hello, everybody here. We have Greg that I've met in Boston. So we used to be hiking buddies and we're still in touch, which is really nice. So I'm going to introduce you guys to Greg. So he's lived in Massachusetts pretty much his whole life, besides like his long-term traveling to Asia. That was super cool. He studied electrical engineering in Worcester, Mass. And now he's here with us to talk about his experience with the pandemic, because so far I've had podcast episode about what was going on mostly in Canada. We talked about what was going on in France, but now it would be nice to have the experience from somebody from the USA. Welcome to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's such a pleasure. I feel like this is long overdue. We needed to do this episode and <laughs> I like your new haircut. Again, this is so nice. <laughs> yeah, so since the start of the pandemic, when haircuts weren't readily available, I just let it go. And then after a certain point, when barbershops started to open up again, I wasn't quite ready to go venturing back out. I, I'm living with my parents who are now retired, and I didn't want to go out and get a haircut and possibly catch COVID and bring it back to the home where I'm living with them, you know, for vanity reasons. But then as it went on, I kind of looked at it as a challenge. And now I've sometimes back in September, I decided I was going to let it go until I was fully vaccinated. So I'm about two weeks out from that date and I have mixed feelings. Some days I'm very much looking forward to getting a haircut. Other days, I just want to let it go and see how my flowing locks look, you know, another two months, three months, one year from now. I mean, nothing stops you. I think I'm probably going to let it go until the first day that I'm in a tropical area and it's 27 degrees Celsius and 85% humid and I'm dying of the heat. And then I'll just like take scissors to it myself and cut it all off. But on the other hand, I think that if you're going to tropical areas, you could also protect your neck from sunburn. This is a good side of having long hair. <laughs> but yeah, you have to spend a lot of money on shampoo and possibly conditioner. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, protect your neck. I think it's better than putting chemical sunscreen onto your skin. So my pandemic situation is probably a little different from many other people. When I came back from my long trip, I hadn't been employed for a couple of years and I wasn't sure I wanted to go back to work because before I went on this trip, one of my friends sent me an article about a woman in New York City who retired when she was 27 and she was following FIRE, financially independent, retire early, which is a hyper-aggressive saving strategy whereby you accumulate a lot of wealth and then live off that wealth the rest of your life, not doing your main job, possibly doing some other things for source of income or not working at all. Uh, so when I came back, I was casually looking for work. My whole intent was to actually go back out in the road. I came back, dental, medical checkup, you know, any additional vaccinations that I needed, renew my passport, which I had filled over the last two years traveling around the world. But by the time I was ready to travel again, uh, the pandemic started to hit. So back in February this year, I was looking at new, uh, new and interesting countries to go to. I was looking a lot in Central Asia. I was looking at uh, Central America, possibly spending a month there learning Spanish and then traveling around through Central and South America. Uh, but then as the month went on, as we started to get further into February, I started to see the signs of the pandemic creeping in and being much bigger than people expected. So I decided to stay closer to home. I planned a trip to DC and then I was going to go visit my friend in Philly. And from there, I was going to go on to like Pittsburgh and Cleveland and Chicago and then make my way across the US by bus, which uh, for your non-American viewers is not a typical way to travel in the US. Very few people use the bus. Yeah, it's true. 
don't underestimate the bus though because we are going through lots of environmental issues like good that we environmentally conscious and using public transport i think it's very great of you well i would love to claim to be so noble but the truth <laughs> is that um i haven't been a regular driver in such a long time after i moved to boston after i moved to cambridge i got rid of my car and i hadn't driven for for years at a time so i really wasn't i'm not really that excited to drive i'd rather have somebody else drive also having a car is just a big expense and plus you have to maintain it and you have to insure it you just have to be it adds another complexity to traveling around so i was looking to travel by bus it's true i do agree with you because coming from europe i mean not everywhere in europe obviously but in big cities i feel like we are very blessed with public transportation as them being so good so fast not always on time but can't complain too much and coming to the states i feel like he was such a luxury to have a car like he became like a status thing more of a symbol like you know teenagers at 16 they get their own car they don't really think about but oh what are the costs that come with it and where do i park this if i'm in the middle of downtown oh yeah that's really expensive and you know on top of having student debt like having a car is also sometimes more of a pain than a freedom yes especially with some of the other solutions like a zip car in the city where you could rent a car by the hour that really worked well for my lifestyle when i lived in cambridge mm -hmm. yeah i know cambridge is a nightmare like people are so mean but i was smart because when i purchased my condo i also purchased a parking space i thought someday again i would have a car and need it to commute but at the time that i bought it i was riding the bus everywhere so many years later it's just um, another source of a little bit of income to offset um, my other monthly expenses so Mm -hmm. It worked out well that way. Nice. Very good. So, yes, you are an avid traveler. And I've always known you as, you know, you're temporarily in Boston because you have to get your stuff together. But your your soul belongs to the world. Like you've always, you know, thinking about your next adventure. And it's always exciting to speak with you because something else is up all the time. I know it's like very difficult for everybody. But when someone lives to travel like you do, what was the general feeling? When the pandemic first hit, I was very much um, uneasy. I felt like I had to be productive every day. So I was off doing multiple things. I was trying to read uh, a book a week. I was trying to take online classes. I was trying to just fill my time in ways that were making me a better person. Mm -hmm. And this lasted for several months. And just taking a day off felt made me feel a little anxious. But eventually in the end of September, I had a just change in mentality, at which point I just stepped back and I said, you know what, this is going on for much longer than I think it's going to. So I just better relax and enjoy it. And I started to just take days or a couple weeks in a row off. And I was just doing very little with my time. I can say honestly that I haven't used my time in the best method for many months, but I'm starting to come back around and I'm starting to gear up for the end of the pandemic. Um, again, uh, I continued reading throughout the pandemic year. I'm back taking online classes and I'm doing a lot of research into travel destinations in hopes that when those destinations open up again, I'll be ready to go and can hit them running. Would working remotely not be an option for you because you have decided to retire, although you're still pretty young? My skills didn't age well with me being out of the market. My position as a QA manager had gone more and more into automation. And even though I've hired and directed automated te teams that did automated testing, my coding level was not up to the requirement of what the job now needs. 
so I took a few classes about coding and my I learned a lot, but I wasn't getting real world feedback. So I was learning, but I wasn't sure I was learning the best way. I got it to work, but it's not necessarily the way you'd want to do it in the real world. At which point I just decided that, you know what, it's going to be very challenging for me to get a job that I'm probably not going to enjoy. And I'm in a financial situation where I don't need to work. So why not just let that go? Why not just relax and see where, where the world takes me? In terms of not traveling right away, I would say that I got very comfortable very quickly. We think about all the glamorous things about traveling, seeing those wonderful vistas and having those new experiences, but you forget a lot about the, the hassle, you know, riding that 12 hour bus ride where, you know, your knees are almost up around your chest because no, <laughs> you know, no Western adult of average size is comfortable in these seats. Or the fact that I was staying in a really noisy part of town, or I I was sleeping in as much as a 20 bed dorm and you know 20 people cannot be all quiet so you know it's nice being home having my own bed having my own bathroom you know um, not having to struggle every day with communication struggle every day with figuring out how things work in a different culture and you know being able to just eat readily so I'd have to say I got a little bit travel lazy and I got very comfortable at home now a year later that comfort is still there but I've also gotten very itchy and I'm um, I'm ready to go back out again but I'm not sure the world is ready to receive travelers yet yeah although in the European Union, I think they would receive vaccinated Americans starting this summer. So that could be a good starting point for you. I saw that and I was very interested in that. It was the article about a week ago said that the head of the EU said that they would be welcoming uh, travelers again, but it was up to each country, any of the quarantine requirements that they may or may not have. So I'm still waiting to see what the details are. Along that same line, I was talking to a friend about going to Belize, who is now open to travelers, uh, back, fully vaccinated travelers from the US. The only problem is that you're only allowed to stay in certain gold standard certified accommodation. And most of that accommodation is on the, we'll say, medium to high side of the range. So budget travel in Belize, although was challenging before, was possible. Now I don't see it as quite as feasible. Like if you wanted to go for a weekend or a week, yes. But if you're looking to go for a month, um, it's just not really in the budget right now. Yeah, I can see that. But so how did you see the vaccine coming up? Was that for you a deliverance? Because you've only had your first shot, but once you get your second shot, is that going to be like the day after you book your next plane ticket? So I've been watching the development of vaccine all through last year, like many people have. And I was very leery of the reports of it being available by November. When you hear that the last vaccine took three to four years to develop, you know, hearing something taking six months is a little bit hard to grasp. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but as with everything, it went through phase one, phase two, and phase three clinical trials. When mm -hmm. they came out there with the efficacy rates for both Pfizer and Moderna, I was pretty much on board with it. Which one did you get? I got Moderna, which means I have to wait four weeks between shots. But um, I was very excited. You know, the pandemic was not the happiest time for anyone. And I felt it like everyone else, even though I didn't have to work, I still was quarantined at home most of the time. And I wasn't going out and seeing friends. I wasn't going out and seeing anyone. I think there was a period where like four months where I didn't leave the house other than to walk around the block. So when my parents finally got theirs, I actually felt better. Even though I was not uh, immunized at all, I just felt like it was a light at the end of the tunnel. So 
In March, state of Massachusetts announced a pre-registration. Go there, sign up, and they'll let you know when there's a spot available for you at one of their max, mass vaccination sites. So when it was announced that everyone in Massachusetts would be eligible on April 19th, I was, you know, looking forward to that date, to, uh, to going out and getting my shot. Because my parents went through, they got both theirs, and they were fine. They had no symptoms at all? Sore arm, otherwise fine. They said they were they were preparing to be sick the entire day or tired, but no, they they were fine. So on May 18th, I got a text and I signed up right away. I, it was a week and a half later. I was going to go with my sister and we were going to get our shots at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, not too far from where we live. But then one of my friends who didn't get the tech got his shot on Saturday. So I was like, wait a minute. So I started to look around on Saturday for places that were closer to home. And sure enough, I found one at the Walgreens, an eight minute ride from where I live. I signed myself up. I signed my sister up. We went down together to get our shot. So when we get there, my sister tells me, you know, Walgreens, they do the shot in the derriere here. And I went, what? No. She goes, yeah, 100%. <laughs> and to God, she said to me, you get it in your butt. And he's going to ask you left or right. And he's asking you, which butt cheek do you want it in? And I said, really? And she goes, yes. Why would I lie to you? And I said, hmm, okay. And knowing my sister doesn't like shots. And she's actually, that's why I went with her. Because she's, she's not excited about shots at all. Very leery of them. So I went in there and I went in first. And there we are in this little room. And the guy comes in. He goes, hi, I'm Dan. I'm your pharmacist. I'll be giving you a shot today. And he goes, ask me some questions. I go, yes, yes, yes. You're all set. He goes, okay, left or right. So I go left and I stand up and I unbuckle my belt and I start to pull down my pants. And he goes, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm getting ready for my shot. He's like, we give it to you in your arm here. And I go, what? And I look at my sister's dying laughing. I'm like, you son of a. (laughs) So, so I know that she doesn't like getting her shots and I know she fears it a lot. So what do I do? He walks up to me and I, I roll up my sleeve and he goes, okay, going to feel a little pinch. And he sticks me with a needle and I let out the whale that would rival a banshee's. And I scream and curse and groan and moan. And I pretend like it's the most painful thing that I've ever had. And of course she's as white as a sheet. And I look at her and I go, ah, I got you back. She got her shot. It was no problem whatsoever. We both walked around CVS. I was moving my, waving my arm around like a crazy person trying to get it to circulate. But within 15 minutes, we had no ill effects and we left. I did at that point, at, you know, at some point I felt a little lightheaded, but I couldn't tell if that was the actual vaccination. I was just so excited to get my first shot and like seeing that light at the end of the tunnel so close that, you know, I think I was just overly excited. <laughs> That's so nice to hear. It was such a funny story. I would say my arm was sore for the next two days. It was a little tough to sleep on my left side because I'm a side sleeper, but um, I didn't have any other adverse effects. It was pretty much any other vaccination that I like any other vaccination that I've got. And um, if you see my World Health Organization, my yellow card, it is filled. I must have had over the years, I would say at least 14 vaccinations. So I'm kind of used to. Wow. How come you got 14? Yeah, well, when I first started traveling, my friend invited me to go on safari with her. She was in the Peace Corps and she was going on safari in East Africa. And she goes, would anybody like to go? And I said, I jokingly said to her, sure, I'll go with you. But then I started talking to my manager at the time and he was like, oh, I'd do that in a heartbeat. And I'm like, what? Really? He goes, 
yeah, that's an awesome, you know, experience. And at this point, my international traveling experience had been Canada, <laughs> England, and a, a week in France and a week in Italy. So, you know, I hadn't been anywhere. And I thought about it. And then I just like sent my friend another message. Okay, I'm coming. When am I meeting you? And I went to um, the uh, Tufts vaccination clinic, the um, infectious disease ward. I went there and they said, okay, you need these shots and you need these boosters and you need this and that and the other thing. And I said, okay. And the guy's like, and he starts listing off all the shots he's going to give me. And I start, and then he goes, but one of them you're going to get in pill form. And I'm laughing and laughing and laughing. He goes, why are you laughing? You're still going to get five shots. And I go, I know. <laughs> so I rolled up my sleeves and I got three in one arm and two in the other. And man, I could not raise my arms over my head for the rest of the day. Wow. Well, this is very inspiring, especially because many, many people do not like needles. It's not a very painful experience. In fact, if you don't look at it, you might not even notice that it's happening. One of my friends said that he would not go to a pharmacy because he doesn't want someone that, you know, just learned to do it. And like, by the time we go, because we're in the third tier, they'll be, you know, everyone is available to go. These people have given so many shots that they're really pros at it. And I had no problem at all just rolling up my sleeve and, and letting them go to work. It's definitely the apprehension. It's like what you think the pain is going to be versus the actual pain. It's almost no pain at all. I mean, it's... Are you the, serious? The... Like, do you not have nerves in your arms anymore? I, you know what? To me, the actual pain of the needle piercing the skin is very little. What I find a little disturbing is when they put the vaccine into you, there's a little bubble of vaccine in there. And that, to me, feels a little odd because all of a sudden you have this little muscle pain that you're not used to. Mm -hmm. So... In terms of actually noticing it, you know, I was just talking to my sister when I was getting mine. And when she was getting hers, I just kind of talked through the whole thing. So she would be focusing on what I was saying to her and not what he was doing. So it, having that little bit of distraction helps, you know, not looking, having a distraction, not overthinking it in your head, all of these things, if you can do them, you'll be fine. No, definitely. It's like, I remember when I had one of my piercings done on my ear, and my friend just kept talking to me and gossiping and laughing. And obviously distract from the pain. But it's not a vaccine, you know, like you're doing it because you want a piercing. <laughs> you know, you're paying for pain. <laughs> I kind of learned this about people with anxiety. Um, when I was flying in Australia, I had traveled up the east coast of Australia and I went to take this flight from Cairns on the northeast of Australia to Alice Springs, which is in the center of Australia. And this woman sat down next to me and we were on the evacuation row. And she was on the inside, she was on the near the window and I was on the um, aisle seat because I prefer the aisle seat. And she kind of looked at me and she kind of said some things and kind of laughed a little bit. And I couldn't tell what was wrong with her. She seemed a little out of sorts. And then she was like, oh, how, you know, how does this work? And she held up the seatbelt. And I'm like, you really don't know how an airline seatbelt works? She goes, oh, goes in like this, right? And I'm like, yeah. Now, I thought, I'm like, maybe this woman's, you know, not quite all there. But then she said to me, you know, as we started to get ready to take off, she said, I haven't flown in the last 25 years. And she goes, I'm really nervous right now. And I go, oh, and it made sense. This was just a manifestation of her anxiety. She goes, will you hold my hand? And I went, of course. So I reached oh, out so and, sweet. and we held hands across, um, across that empty middle seat. And that whole time I just started talking to her and it didn't matter what I said to her. And I'm pretty sure I just babbled on for 10 minutes as we taxied and took off. And once we hit level flight, she goes, okay, I'm all set now. It's just the takeoffs that I'm 
I, I'm worried about. And she goes, thank you very much. And I said, no problem. So I kind of learned there, you know, to take away a little bit of that anxiety, just, just talk to them. And that was what I employed with my, with my sister. And I think I actually told her some of my, uh, like my vaccination stories from when I went to the travel clinic. Mm -hmm. You know, a funny story is I was hiking with a friend one time and he thought that I was not going fast enough. And the thing is I had really terrible shoes. I didn't prepare well, but my shoes were slippery and I had slipped on my butt like four times. So <laughs> my friend kept telling me stories ahead and he kept telling them in a low voice. So I would get closer to him to hear it. <laughs> and his stories were like the most embarrassing and funny. He was like, you know, when I was young, I was like peeing and then the toilet seat fell on my penis. <gasps> <laughs> and I was like, this is so great. And it finally like, got me through the end of the hike. And at the end, I was like, I knew what you were doing. I knew you did it on purpose. So <laughs> I would walk like, you know, with the carrot in front of me. <laughs> That's excellent. Everybody's found different ways to motivate you. Yeah. It's true. It's true. But if only it could work when you're studying something. So let's say if I'm learning Spanish and somebody can tell me stories so that I would want to learn the language. That would also be great. The way I saw learning Spanish, because I'm a monolinguist, and even though I had several years of high school French, I really, for the life of me, can't remember any um, more than a few words. I sought out that motivation, or I was playing that motivation by going and taking a month long long course in a Spanish speaking country where I would be, you know, dependent on my Spanish to get me through. So in terms of learning, sometimes you have to put yourself in awkward situations to get the most out of it. Mm -hmm. I, now, having said that, I haven't done it yet. So I don't know if it's actually going to work or not. <laughs> be continued. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So going back onto your vaccine situation, because it was such a funny experience the first time, are you going back with your sister for the second shot? Yes. When I signed the two of us up, the website immediately gave us the option to sign up for our second vaccination, which is four weeks later. So we're both set to go again. And I am super excited about it. But uh, my sister is not. Um, we've got about a week and a half to go. And I can't wait. Um, you know what? Tell her that you're going to get a buzz cut. If she goes <laughs> to the second shot. This would defeat all plans of long hair. <laughs> I, I don't see, I don't think my sister would care. I don't think she sees that as a motivation at all. I think this is just something she wants to get through as quickly as possible. So we'll see. I'll tr try that with her, but I really don't think it's going to make a difference to her at all. So going back to the vaccine, I was looking at things that I can do right away. And the only countries that I found that don't have a requirement right now are Belize and Mexico, but the U.S. government and the Canadian government are both uh, saying that you should limit travel abroad unless it's absolutely necessary. I know Canada and both uh, Great Britain are saying no to travel for their citizens. So I'm kind of in this stuck situation. I'm not really sure what I want to do, where I want to go, if I just want to wait, because what's the point of traveling to someplace if you're only going to get half an experience? If the people aren't out and about, and sure, I'm going to be able to see the sights, but if I'm not going to experience the other half of like, you know, this is how people normally live, things are going to be limited, sites are going to be limited, activities are going to be limited. Is it worth going and spending, you know, my time and money traveling to someplace and then only seeing a quarter of what a country really is? I see what you're saying from, from the money perspective, because yes, you're still spending money to go there with your flight and with your lodging. But in terms of time, time's going to pass anyway. So a year from now, if you haven't done anything, you're still going to be a year older. So uh, you could use this year to have half an experience and have less money, but you know, you'll still be a year older. 
Yeah, this is true. So the excuse of time is not really a thing because we never know when we're going to die. And we have to manage the time that we have based on what we're allowed to. And this is the question of freedom that people have been asking is if you're not getting the vaccine. So people have been talking about this passport vaccine, then you're sort of excluded from the social event, the gathering, concerts, festivals, whatever. So is this fair for people who choose not to get the vaccine? It's very hard to justify not getting vaccinated because even if you're not in a high-risk group, you could still catch it. And although you might not become sick from it, you could also pass it on to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Or God forbid, like if you become sick, you know, if you get the virus, you're also giving it an opportunity to mutate. Now, all viruses mutate millions of times in each person, but most of those mutations just wither and die. They're not uh, viable mutations. But imagine that you're giving the virus another opportunity to come out with a more aggressive or more lethal variant. And that's really what I worry about. I probably won't get sick, but do I give the virus another opportunity to infect the host or God forbid I get it and then pass it on to somebody else? How do I feel about being someplace where people have been closed down for a year and then I show up, hi, I'm a tourist, I cough on them, I get them sick um, because I picked it up from someplace else, you know? Yeah, I feel like... Hard. So from my understanding, you could still catch the virus and transmit it even with the vaccine. So it does not prevent the transmission so much, although it could reduce your virus load. So you'll be likely to, you know, contain it and not have the symptoms as much and not plummet the number of very bad cases at hospitals so not filling up all the beds. So this is a good point. An interesting point that I got is what you said about the variants. If we're going to have variants anyways, how much sooner do we have until we have to find a new vaccine? And is this vaccine going to be still valid in six months? I'm not a virologist, but I have been listening like I'm sure everyone else has. And the thing that resonated the most with me that sounded most logical was that this is just going to become uh, endemic. Um, it's going to become like influenza, where every year we're going to have a booster shot for it. And that makes sense, uh, especially when you look at the variants that came out of Great Britain, South Africa, that are more virulent. And then today I heard that there's Indian variant that's supposed to be uh, a stronger version of the virus. You know, we will see as time passes, um, but I don't, I see it as feasible that this is something that we just have to deal with, with boosters, or it becomes just part of the background that springs up every once in a while. Yeah. And the thing with the seasonal flu shot is that it's highly recommended for older people and people with medical history, you know, not obligatory. And this is what people are worried about um, in our generation is we don't know what this vaccine is going to give us side effects in a few years. And it's not the same if you're like 80 years old and yes, you're more fragile. So you should get the vaccine. And also we don't really care as much for the side effects because you're not going to be around for so long. But if you're younger, like if you're in your 20, 25 and you get the vaccine and something bad as a side effect shows up when you're 30, you're, you're here to relieve a short-term solution. How do you feel about that? We don't know right now what possible long-term effects of the vaccine are, but we are also not sure about the possible long-term effects of COVID. Mm -hmm. So I look at it as I'd rather protect myself from the virus, which I know to be bad for me and for everyone else on the slim chance that there might be some long-term effect from the vaccination. And anyone that tells you that there are these long-term effects from vaccination, they don't know because the vaccine hasn't been around long enough. Uh, and to me, I will trade immunization against a bad thing versus this theoretical potential bad thing in the future. 
Honestly, I'm not worried about it, but I've always gone. And as I said, I've always gone and rolled up my sleeves for all my vaccinations. I don't quite see how people can be anti-vax in terms of their children. All of the studies will tell you that all the vaccines that you get as a child have been well tested and have, you know, been used on generations now. And the reason why, you know, infant mortality rates are down, the reason why people don't get measles, mumps, rubella, um, you know, polio is because we have these vaccines and to disuse them because someone on the internet or some YouTube video told you that there's a potential side effect against all of the medical evidence just doesn't make sense to me. You I'm not a conspiracy theorist anyway, so. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying, but have you looked into um, the fraud that Pfizer have had to pay penalty for? So, you know, like they're one of the biggest criminals in terms of, you know, paying people because they, the FDA has not approved their drugs and they still put it on the market anyway. I have not heard that, but I have not gone looking for that either. Like there's the industry side, there's the consumer side, and then there's reality. So mm -hmm. it's hard, it's hard to get the global picture, but as a reminder, we're not scientists, at least not virologists, and it's hard to draw real conclusions, but we're just having chats based on people's experience because I feel like it's important to also consider, like like you said, having social consciousness, but also if you're forced enough by society to take the vaccine, then there's no other choice than to take it. It's interesting to think about the concept of the vaccine passport. In some ways, superficially, it makes a lot of sense. You don't want people to travel or to go to certain events if they haven't been immunized. But on the other hand, it can be very prejudicial for those people that aren't able, who have Uh, who are immunocompromised that can't get the vaccine, do we now exclude these people? Or those people that don't readily have access to getting vaccines, you know, people that are either poor or isolated or have other things not, that they're working for. Do you mean like not in the United States because in the US it's totally free and accessible? Even I got like three or four emails from Massachusetts saying, come get vaccinated. And I'm like, I can't even cross the border. <laughs> I can't even come back to Canada without paying like $2,000 in hotel fees. I'll even go as so far as to say in the United States that I'm worried that even though the vaccine passport sounds like a good idea, that it might be marginalizing uh, a segment of our society. There's a lot of people that are still scared rightly so about getting it, especially if you are not a citizen. If you're here, we'll say questionably, we have to convince these people to get the vaccine, but we also have to kind of protect them from straight up being deported rightly or wrongly. But uh, I guess what I was trying to say was the vaccine passport sounds like a good idea, but I'm not sure it's should be universally required because there are some people that just can't get the vaccine for one reason or another. No, yeah, for sure. Like I was speaking to um, a student of mine and he lives in Hong Kong and he was saying that like where he lives, if you want to go to a restaurant, you have to show up with an app and they scan your, your cell phone. And so it tell it like, it lets the restaurant know what time you came in and what's your phone number. And if there's a positive case, they can let you know about it. So you know how to confine. And it seems like they're like, it's very convenient, but when do we ask the question about breaching your privacy because then they have access to how often you go to restaurant, what do you eat, uh, how long you take to eat. And this can be also used for commercial purposes. Like we don't know what's going on. I had not heard of that in Hong Kong, but I've heard that in mainland China. I have not been to mainland China. I've been to other parts. They've also included everybody, not just anybody who can afford a cell phone or anyone who's willing to download the app, because if you can't or don't want to, you would still have to put your, your name on a piece of paper with your phone number, with your time of arrival. So actually, if it's just a piece of paper, anybody can fake it. Yes. 
in some way, like in the early days of the pandemic, that was a fantastic way to contact trace. I don't think that would fly here in the United States since we have a different concept of liberties as opposed to China. And I think that amount of surveillance would be highly suspect here in the US. And a lot of people would just not put up with it and go out of their way to avoid it. Look at the huge deal that people made about wearing a mask and how it became this not this thing to protect you and to protect others, but about civil liberties and how whole groups of people were rising up because they didn't want to wear a mask, the most basic thing you can do to prevent the transmission of disease. But And yet people are going on Facebook and Instagram where they are tracked every single second. Like They don't even need people's permission. They're being tracked since they got on their phone and they have their phone everywhere. It tracks their localization. It tracks like how how long they spend on each app by the microsecond. I mean, it's very contradictory that you don't want to have social conscious, but yet you're giving up your privacy and your power to social media. This is true. And it doesn't have to make sense because if we've learned anything, people can be full of contradictions all the time. If we, if you talk to me for long enough, I'm sure I will contradict myself at least six times. So, but you're right. Also, I think um, it's also kind of a generational thing. The younger the person, the more they've grown up with this technology, the more it's become part of their lives. Even between me and my friends, some of us are a little more privacy conscious than others. Like I started to use like just private browsing. I try and keep my internet footprint as low as possible. And my friend who is just a few years younger than I am says to me, but why? Why bother? You know, Google and Apple know basically, Google, Apple, and Facebook know everything about me. And I'm like, well, I try to segregate my information. You know, Apple knows this much about me. Google knows this much about me. And Facebook knows this much about me. But it's the tech giants have become so all-encompassing that it's almost impossible not to interact with one of those either directly or indirectly on a daily basis. Yeah, because then you don't have access to regular activities that everybody's on and then you feel left out. And that's the danger of it is when you feel left out, you feel sad, like you're missing out, but they're probably happier than us. Like people who quit social media, I'm sure they're living the best life. I will say that during the pandemic, I, I would say around August... I stopped going on social media. It didn't bring me any joy. I was seeing, especially with my friends in New Zealand and Australia who had much greater freedoms down there, what they were doing, and even my friends in the US who were getting together. Uh, and here I was, you know, at home, miles away from anything. So I just cut it off. I stopped Instagram. I stopped Facebook. If people messaged me, I'd still communicate with them. But in general, I wasn't looking at what people were doing or where they were going. Yeah. So although the passport vaccine makes sense, like you said, because we could separate who's like, quote unquote, in danger or at risk versus the people who choose to live dangerously but freely, it's still dividing people. You know, it's like the mask thing, whether you're willing to wear a mask or an anti-masker, it feels like we're not divided enough, you know, by political party. And now we have to be divided based on our ideas. And I feel like it's super sad that this division is only growing because the more social media feeds us stuff, the more we think that we're right, but, and that our neighbors are wrong. And it's pretty isolating. And it's the same with the vaccine. I think I apprehended this many, many months ago that I knew people were against. I knew people were for it. And I just knew I had to do episodes about both sides and not create war, but create debate and create open-mindedness and respectful conversation and not insult each other because of our differences and opinions. Yeah, I, I understand that. And I think it's part of the echo chamber effect that happens, especially on the social media sites when you get together with like-minded individuals and the algor algorithms feedback 
back that loop where you keep on hearing the same opinions over and over again, it's very hard to break out of and just reinforces your ideals. I know even though I consider myself tend to be a little more on the liberal side, that it's hard for me to even break out of the echo chamber. And one of the things I learned from traveling is that there are many different philosophies. And even though I see two different ideas here in the United States, you know, there are hundreds of other ideas on how things should work or how people should behave. And it's very interesting for me to talk to people who I am diametrically opposed to. And uh, no, I was just going to say, you know what happened on Instagram the other day? So I have a podcast that promotes multicultural education, right? And so we're trying to be anti racist and trying to speak uh, pretty openly about our issues with discrimination and with racism. And the other day, Instagram feeds me like this sponsored, or not even sponsored, but like suggestion of a guy who was like, if you're not standing up against xenophobia, transphobia, and homophobia, then you're you're supporting white supremacists. And I'm like, this has nothing to do. There's xenophobia, transphobia in every culture and every minority. It's not just a white thing. Like, what is this? This is going way too far. So I definitely see what you mean by you're feeding what you want to hear. So it's not always healthy because there's always all kinds of things that can confirm what you want to believe, but sometimes it's just like too much. Yeah. Well, thank you, Greg, so much for this, for your wonderful time on this podcast. I hope to see you soon. I mean, do you happen to have a last piece of advice for listeners? Well, in normal times, I would say, you know, get out there, travel, meet the rest of the world. It'll open your eyes. But right now, I still think it's a little early. So stay at home, stay safe, stay healthy. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. And I'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye. If you love the podcast, you can check out my blog, Education Monsters. It's education-monsters.com. You can also support my project on multicultural education by donating on my Patreon page. The link is posted below. If you make a donation, you could have a shout-out on my next article or podcast. You could also choose the subject of my new article or podcast. And if you need French or English lessons, meet me on the italki platform. I'll put the link below. Shoot me a message as well if you'd like to be a guest on my podcast. And may today be the best day of your life. Bye.